to Deep Learning Dialogues, the essential podcast for K-12 educators diving into the transformative world of generative AI. In each episode, we bring you insights from experts at the forefront of this innovative technology. We'll discuss the WCBSB AI guidelines and explore how Gen AI can be used in a human-centered way to foster equity, inclusion, and belonging in the classrooms. We're your hosts, Whitney McKinley and Katrina Gowett. Join us as we navigate the possibilities of Gen AI to enrich learning experiences while staying true to our vision. Don't forget to keep in touch and join in on the conversation with your questions and comments in our form located in the show notes. Now, let's dive in. We're here together meeting virtually, which means that we are on different lands here with our guest. So before we get going on our podcast, we just want to take a moment to recognize and acknowledge the land that Katrina and I are here on today. We are in the Waterloo region, and this is the land that's traditionally cared for by the Haudenosaunee, Anishinaabe, and Chinatown peoples. We are incredibly grateful that we have the opportunity to live, learn, play, and produce this podcast here on this land. We want to acknowledge the enduring presence and deep traditional knowledge of the Indigenous people who are here today and who came before us. Those Indigenous people are sharing this land with us, and we are incredibly grateful. Katina, tell us a little bit about where you are. The city of Pickering resides on land within the treaty and traditional territory of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nation and Williams Treaty signatories of the Mississauga and Chippewa Nations. We honor, recognize, and respect Indigenous peoples as rights holders and stewards of the lands and waters on which we have the privilege to live. Thank you. We have our special guest here with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Katina Popolkis. I'm the Senior Education Strategist for Dell Technologies for Canada. So in my role, I travel across Canada for both uh, supporting students in K-12 as well as post-secondary. And it's really about the focus on teaching and learning with technology and how technology can amplify the learning. So the focus is on pedagogy and then how the technology amplifies it all. Prior to my role at Dell, I've uh, been in education a very long time and most of my life, uh, particularly with the Toronto District School Board, 20 years plus there as a classroom teacher in the K-12 space, a teacher librarian, administrator, as well as a central leader with the technology team. So uh, this role at Dell is really um, my favorite role I've ever had. It's like I'm living the dream job because I really do get a chance to see what's happening in the Canadian space from a K-20 perspective, as well as we also work with the North American team at Dell as well as globally. So it gives you just a sense of what's happening in technology and with education. So great. And so with all of your experience going um, across the country and working with different um, people, we're wondering like what you're seeing about Canada's approach to AI. Um, and that might be like copyright legislation or laws. What have you been noticing? 
Thanks, Katrina. Uh, to begin with, Canada currently does not have a copyright legislation that addresses AI in explicit terms. So Canadian law has yet to definitively decide how, uh, if and when copyright law should apply to content generated by, by AI. Currently, the legislation is in second reading at this point in time. So it's it's at the committee stage where they're trying to really bring in experts uh, from across Canada as well as globally. And they're also looking at other countries, the types of laws that uh, they're establishing with AI. And the big thing that they're looking at, there's a couple of areas, the data inputs, which are used to train the AI system, and then the data outputs being the content generated by the AI. So despite this uncertainty, we know enough to anticipate the primary commercial concerns and legal questions will arise in the context of these inputs and outputs. And I'm sure many people have heard that, for example, uh, the New York Times have sued OpenAI and Microsoft over the AI use of copyrighted works. Um, so if we want to dig in a little bit more, uh, let's talk about what it looks like in Canadian law with copyright. Usually what we have is an author or a creator. And so that author is usually understood to be a human being. And so when a human being creates something, they have the benefit of getting a 50-year copyright before something goes into the public domain. Now with AI, it's a whole different story. This is computer-generated work. And it's like, who's the author of this? Is it uh, the person who did the inputs? Is it the computer who did the outputs? It is, the, is it the actual content that was taken um, from potentially the New York Times or some other copyrighted material? So that's why it's a real gray area. And uh, folks are still trying to grapple with all of this. These are not easy questions. And we want to make sure that uh, we get it as close to right as possible. And this is happening all over the world. <laughs> okay, so let's look at another global example. In the UK, uh, the programmer or the user who generated the AI is the author. So the work is protected by copyright. However, computer-generated work will only get a shorter term of protection, around 30 years, compared to that human-generated work of 50 years before going in public domain. So that's what the, the UK um, legislation has defined. Now, in Canada, uh, we are looking at the UK model, but they are also looking at the American model, which is potentially going straight into public domain. However, if so, if a creator uses AI, and the whole thing that committee is talking about is how much or how little, uh, and if you create, you have that AI creation, it may be deemed authorless and have no protection at all. And so, if there's no author, then there's no owner. So that artistic work, for example, that the song that you guys created, may be put directly into public domain. Wow. So now think about this from a business perspective. If there's no owner or author, the ability to sell, license uh, is removed. It's very unclear. That's why it is really challenging. Like how much is it before it's a collaboration to 
completely authorless. And so that's what uh, is being grappled with in terms of copyright legislation. That's so interesting. Isn't it fascinating, eh? Fascinating, especially when it comes to what our students are are outputting, right? We have a lot of questions here in K-12 education about plagiarism and AI detection tools and when a student potentially, you know, copies and pastes and says it's their own. But really, we're seeing those same issues that we're grappling with in our government, in, in, in business, in society. So it's just so interesting to see how it's having such an impact on, on the world as a whole. So when we think about our educators and those things that they're grappling with, with you know, plagiarism and copyright and, and all of that, um, what, what advice do you have or what are you seeing across education when it comes to plagiarism and these tools? All right. So when we talk about AI detection tools, I would tell educators not to use them because right now they're just not accurate and there's a lot of false positives that are out there. And we would hate to accuse students of using AI for their work um, when they've done it on their own. Now, you might say, well, how does that happen? How can we not track what is AI? Well, the way that they are set up, say for example, the three of us were to take the exact same prompt and put it into a tool like ChatGPT. The response that would be outputted, even though we put in the exact same prompt, would be different. So say for example, we said, what are you ChatGPT? Or what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Even though it would be the exact same prompt, each of us would get something different. And the reason is, is when it goes to setting up that LLM, there's what we call uh, the temperature of the LLM. And what that allows to do it, it's usually between zero and one, the variance. And so when it's set by the developer who's setting up that LLM, the standard is 0.7 which means that there will be variance in responses. So when you're asking your students and you're giving them an essay question, and if they copy and paste that directly into um, one of the chatbots, they, even if they're using the same tool, they're gonna get three different essays. And because it, the architecture is set up to write with human-like text, it's going to sound like a human. And so you're never going to actually be 100% sure if it is AI or not. And so do we err on the side of caution that we don't accuse people of cheating because that is detrimental and, you know, it just really brings on a, a negative stance to the relationship with the student and the work that they've been doing. So instead, what we want educators to do is to work with the technology, work with the process so that uh, sharing with the teachers, hey, introduce it, how it can be used, because recognize they're using these tools at home. They know how to use them. It's a very easy interface, so they can put those essay questions in. So rather than asking for that final product, let's go back to the process and talk about, oh, what does an outline look like? How And, and then be able to talk about it. And if they have used some of these tools, like ChatGPT, make sure they cite that source and put it and say, yep, I use this to help me. Because then as we're talking about these new rules and laws, like we're seeing how we as humans 
are working with AI, we're giving it credit where credit's due, those inputs and outputs that we were talking about, we're citing our sources. That's the honesty that we're after with students uh, and educators to work together and collaborate versus that uh, trying to hide the cheating. So if we work right from the very beginning with our process and put more of an emphasis there than on product, we're going to be able to teach the, our students the skills that they need for their future and the future workforce that they're going to be entering. We are all learning together as we go here, and we're doing it in a way that's embracing the technology versus trying to hide it or uh, ban it, because these are the tools and skills our students are going to be using, and we need to prepare them for their future, not ours. And so, yes, it is going to be tough. We're going to have to um, shift in our thinking. We're going to have to be a little uncomfortable in, in how we do some of these things. And we're going to have to try and fail and try and do new things. And there'll be mistakes along the way. But we will get there. We're educators. We're resilient. We know how to do this. This really speaks to what we've known for a long time already with the triangulation of data and the process over product. And we see that in our ministry documents, such as growing success. Um, growing success. I know it's an oldie, but it's a great one. And it's, it's about formative assessment. And then also, I think something to really tap into is that um, as learning, assessment as learning, like that metacognition piece. Because then if our students are working with AI, we still need to see what did they learn? How did they do it? How are they working together with it? But ultimately we want our kids to be learning. We wanna see that evidence of learning and critical thinking and a great way to get at that is having them do reflections. So metacognition is perfect for these types of activities. So lots of formative assessment, uh, lots of focus on that. Uh, the and, and then along the way, lots of um, metacognition to help it, the process. So if educators decide that they really want to get going with generative AI or they're interested in exploring Gen AI, uh, but might be hesitant or unsure of where to start, uh, what advice would you have for them? I think uh, the biggest piece of advice I would say is just play. We learn through play. And um, I would try some of the different tools that are out there. You don't have to spend money on them. Uh, they're free right now, many of them. They're not the premium versions, but that's okay. You can go and do uh, testing with uh, ChatGPT, with Copilot, and the brand new Gemini that just came out. So those are all available to you, and they all do different things. And so it's really kind of neat to test them out. Just take them for a test drive. But I would start with your personal life. So so things like make your meal plan, do your grocery list from that. Uh, if you're going on a vacation, ask these tools, uh, where are the best places to go? What are some hotels you might want to stay at? Where are some restaurants or something like that? So leverage it for your personal life and see how they work. See what you're comfortable with and slowly think about, hey, if this can help me save some time in my personal life, how might I leverage this to take some of those tedious tasks off of my plate that I have to do, but the AI can help me do the, it faster. And then it would actually free me up to spend more time with my students, building relationships, working one-on-one -on -one, and in small groups. So the other thing I would also do, this is not a one-off. AI is changing on a daily basis. So for example, 
Gemini is, you know, we've been waiting for a Google uh, GPT for uh, over a year and we've been waiting for BARD and it just came out this week and uh, now it's called Gemini. So it's, it's changing. Um, new tools are coming out and trust me, I'm not about tools. I'm not. I'm always about student outcomes. That's what we always have to think about. Uh, once we know what the outcomes that we're trying to get, how do we leverage these tools to help us get there in a way that is supportive and safe for everyone? As educators, though, because everything is changing, we need to keep up with our AI literacy. All of us as the adults need to make sure that we will be supporting our students. And you can choose whether or not you want to use these tools in your, in your classroom, in your life. At the same time, you have to recognize they are out there and we need to be aware of them. And because so many new tools are coming out, just to be aware of what is available to our students will really help you. And so that would mean continuous PL. So it's not like we go on one day and then that's it. We learn about AI. We're going to be seeing this every day in our lives. So even if it's like a five minute check out a tool or see what your friend is doing down the hall or in the staff room, talk about it once a month or whatever it may be. Um, just make sure you continue this conversation. Uh, check out your district's guidelines because these are great guidelines and I'm sure they're going to be updating them as things come out because it just is changing. So, you know, it's not to stress people out, but yeah, change is happening. And so we just have to be resilient and help our kids understand that change is happening. It is moving towards a safer place. We're starting to see this governance. We're waiting for it, but it is going in the right direction as we get there. So as educators, there is a, a sense of responsibility to keep that professional learning up, however you choose to do it. Um, and so this podcast, the guidelines that are posted on your website, um, I will put a plug in. We're doing monthly meetups uh, around AI literacy for anybody who's interested. Uh, we are also uh, hosting a conference on March 20th in Toronto that is all about AI. And we'll be having keynote speakers from ISTE and U of T and really talking about what it's looking like in teaching and learning. So the reality is it's here how do we leverage the, the tools, the power behind it to support student learning while at the same time keeping everyone safe and secure? Yeah, absolutely. Because right now um, we know that our guidelines are going to be updated probably every couple of weeks. And right now we don't have a student tool, but we're hoping that that will come along um, eventually. So we'll continue to promote tools that are safe for our educators to use and, you know, um, really enhance those learning outcomes for our students. So just to respond to that, uh, even if a tool is not approved at the district, please recognize your students will be at home using these tools. They're easy, they're available on their phones, uh, so they have lots of access to generative AI. So even if we think they're not using them at school because they're not supposed to, they are. <laughs> so it's just, it's that reality. And that's the the professional learning that we need to have, those conversations that we need to be having on a regular basis to make sure that we're, you know, it's very hard to keep up to date on all of this, but at least to know that you're having these types of conversations will be helpful. I've I've heard over and over again from Katrina and from Katina um, and and really when you take a look at our guidelines that 
the concept of supportive and safe for everyone. Uh, we really want to make sure that our students understand that if their teachers are using it, that they're using it in a safe way, that they're using it to keep their privacy safe. Um, so how do how do educators do that? How do they make sure that if they're choosing a tool um, because they're an adult and because they have that independence, how can they be safe while using that tool? I think as educators, what we always have to start with are what outcomes are we trying to reach for student learning? We should never start with tools. We should start with what we're trying to do to support student learning. And then it's the tools to help do that. So it's great pedagogy. It's 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 great teaching. It's what we've been doing all the time. We still have to start with our expectations. We still have to look at our learning objectives, what we're trying to help our students achieve. So learning objectives, success criteria, when you map out great assessment, then you'll be able to say, okay, now this is what I'm trying to do to support my student learning. What can I leverage to help that happen? So that can include your manipulatives. It can also include some tools that include AI. That's what we do as professionals to really make sure that our students learn. So it's, I don't want, I'm not about the tools until you make sure you've defined what it is you're trying to actually teach and have your students learn. Uh, the focus is on student learning all the time. Now, so that being said, once we've established these are the learning objectives of the lesson, these are this is this, these are the success criteria that we're after. Hey, there are some AI tools that could potentially help here. That's when we really dig in and say, okay, what is my district practice for making sure that I'm using a safe tool for students? And safe is what I'm talking about is security and privacy. Because again, as educators, we're responsible for their learning, but we also are responsible for their privacy, their data privacy, because we don't want their data going out there that can then be used by these LLMs. We are not supposed to be putting our students at risk by entering any PII in there that could potentially be shared with another LLM. That's not a good thing. We also don't want to bring down our district with some sort of cyber attack by using an unsafe tool. That's our responsibility as educators. We recognize in this day and age, cyber is everywhere. AI is causing an impact even more so. So once you have an idea of a tool that you want to use, go to your district and see what is their policy to get a tool on the approved list. You may have to write a business case. You may have to put in an application. That's okay, but that's the right thing to do. And that's as educators what we, we should be doing. So we shouldn't be going rogue and just using things because it's easy. We need to do the right thing and model the right thing. That's the ethics behind it all. So that being said, now that you know what your learning objectives are, the success criteria, you have an approved tool that will keep the kids safe. That's when you can use it with your students. So probably the first place I would be looking is on your approved list of tools that your district has. Look to those tools and you might be saying, well, none of those are AI. Trust me, go take a second look because now a lot of these older tools are adding AI components. They're going back and adding them in. So uh, there are tools that are now being um, created new tools. You don't even have to go to the new tools. Go back to the old tools that you've used. Check to see has AI been added to them and then they're on the approved list. You can leverage them, see if it would actually work to support your students learning what you're trying to do.
What emerging trends in Gen AI do you foresee having the most impact on education in the future? I'm going to share my vision, what I think is going to be uh, a reality with AI, if it's going in the same direction, and then backward map it. So what I think an, an amazing AI and facilitated classroom with a teacher would look like is a classroom of students in groups with technology, every student having that personalized tutor. So the teacher as facilitator has done their diagnostic. There's that assessment again. Now they have this ability to go into these powerful tools and say, you know, I'm just going to pull out some names. Johnny is reading at this grade level. Um, Susie is reading at this grade level. They can now actually create differentiated texts in a matter of seconds that will support the learning needs of both of these students for all of their students in a matter of minutes. And so now the students will be able to go through scaffolded learning that meets their direct learning needs. And so they're working their way through their questions and answers, their small group sessions, the good teaching that we want to have happen. And then teacher has a chance to go around and spend the individual time that's needed. We now have the ability to support students with dyslexia, um, uh, hearing impairment. Like there's just so many ways now that AI can support our special needs learners. Some of the tools to support universal design for learning are so powerful. And those kids that were struggling before are now going to have that leg up that they need to really be able to participate in class in a different way. So when you're asking for trends, this is what I want to see. And I want to see our ELL students being able to use these translation tools and speak in their first language and learn in their first language until they've mastered the, the English one or the French. Um, so the opportunities here to be an inclusive classroom, everybody learning at the rate that they need to do, it is, that's available to us if we do this right and we do it in a safe way. And that's what gets me really excited about all of this. Yes, we have to make sure we do it right. We have to make sure it's done with the right tools. Uh, it always starts with good teaching and assessment and leveraging our digital ecosystem uh, in a safe and secure way. So that's what I see happening. That's what I want to see happening. And as educators, if we all get behind this, we can shape that future versus being reacting to what's coming out. So if we all together as educators, we can be really powerful. We can be like, yes, we have this happening. AI is happening in our world. And if we use our good teaching practices, follow all these safety procedures that we need to do, and then it's like the potential for an incredible AI facilitated with an educator classroom that is on the horizon and available to all of us for the betterment of our students. Student success at the center, right? Absolutely. It the tool, you can't help but feel excited. It it's, makes me a little nervous sometimes, and it's definitely overwhelming, but it's exciting to think that there might be a day where we could have every student's learning needs met without having the teacher feel exhausted trying to do 
what their goal is every single day. It is so exciting. Yeah, and and I think that's what really helps me go through it because yes, right now we're in a bit of that chaos, that mess, the newness, we're all trying to figure it out. But if we keep those goals in front of us and say, this is what we're working towards, I find that incredibly exciting. And when we have people who are all moving in the same direction, it can really help. Um, So don't get me wrong. I'm cautious. I want to make sure things are done well, but we should be excited about this opportunity that's in front of us. It will require change and some shifting on our part, but we're resilient and we can model that too for our kids. And with the help of our colleagues and professional learning and uh, just an open to learning stance, it's that growth mindset that we talk about with our students all the time. Uh, If if we all work together on this and, and approach it in a positive way, Um, keeping those guardrails in place, we can get there. An exciting future ahead for education, for sure. Well, we'd like to thank you so much, Katina, for uh, speaking with us today about all your experience and um, all the knowledge you hold about generative AI and how that can really transform education. So we're very grateful. But thank you for having me. Really appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much, Katina. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Deep Learning Dialogues. Don't miss our next episode where we will be diving into the future of education with Dr. Carrie Weaver, a learning, teaching, and instructional design librarian at the University of Waterloo. We'll explore how Gen AI is revolutionizing post-secondary education, reshaping our approach to plagiarism and academic integrity, and bridging the gap between post-secondary and K-12 education. Until next time, keep inspiring, keep innovating, and let's navigate the future of education together. We're the generation, the one for the fire.